The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to episode number 199 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. What does it take to grow a civil engineering firm, especially the culture of the firm, in today's environment? I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, which is part of our Civil Engineering Entrepreneurs series, I'll be talking with Walfredo Pavita, who is the founder and chief engineer at Pavita Highway Designers, LLC. Walfrey has nearly 30 years of experience and has served as project director, project manager, and engineer of record on various projects. His highway design experience involves projects that range from limited access highways, including multi-level interchanges, to major arterial capacity projects, to resurfacing, rehabilitation, or restoration projects. We're going to talk to him about how he's grown his firm, but really, we're going to talk about how his passion and the way he thinks outside the box and how he talks to some of his employees and engages with them has been a big factor. Before we get started, this is a free show and our sponsors help us keep it free. So now I'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, Collier's Engineering and Design. Collier's Engineering and Design is a multidiscipline engineering firm with over 1,800 employees in 63 offices nationwide and growing fast. Collier's Engineering and Design maintains an internal culture that is nurtured through the promotion of integrity, collaboration, and socialization. Their employees enjoy hybrid work environments, continuous career advancement, health and wellness offerings, and programs and projects that have a positive impact on society. Collier's Engineering and Design stays on the cutting edge of technology, and their entrepreneurial approach to expansion provides personal and professional development opportunities across the firm. Leadership's dedication to the well-being of their employees and their families is demonstrated throughout the wide range of benefits and programs available to them. For more information, visit the career page on their website at colliersengineering.com. I also want to let you know that we're starting some programs soon at EMI, some new sessions of our Engineering Leadership Accelerator, which focuses on people leadership skills, our Project Management Accelerator PM Skills course, and our Seller Doer Accelerator, our Business Development Skills course. We run these programs regularly, and you can enroll yourself or you can enroll some of your team members, or we could do a company-only version just for your company, or we can even take our curriculum and customize it for your firm. To check out our programs, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Just click on the upcoming training button at the top of the site or give us a call, 800-920-4007. That's 800-920-4007. With that, let's jump into today's conversation of the week. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'd like to welcome on our guests for today's show, Walfredo Pavita, founder and chief engineer at Pavita Highway Designers. Walfrey, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Walfrey, in your own words, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey in starting your firm, and what you do today on a daily basis. I was born in, uh, in Miami, first-generation Cuban-American, and I've lived my whole life here. I went to middle school, high school. When I graduated high school, I went to the University of Miami, so I stayed here. I got a Bachelor of Science in, in Civil Engineering, 
And then after that, I decided to get a, a master's in business administration. I was not sure whether to get a master's in science and engineering or business administration, but I kind of felt like I was very technical already. So I decided to do the MBA route and I went to Florida International University here again in Miami. <laughs> I've grown up here in Miami. I started my career as a bridge engineer in 1991. I spent two years at this firm. It was a, a large company. At the time, the company's name was Post Buckley Shoe and Jernigan. They've since been acquired by Atkins and now SNC Lavalin. But when I was there, it was Post Buckley. I was there for two years. I did bridges. But it was a big organization, and I decided to try something else. I wanted to get more my hands on more of the project, not just a bridge pier or a beam, but you know the overall bridge if possible, and, and maybe even one day the overall project. So I joined a smaller firm called C3TS here in Miami. I went there and I, you know, I did bridges for a while. And at some point I started doing traffic control plans and roadway plans. And ultimately after I got my MBA, I recognized the value of interacting with the client and understanding like what's best for the overall project and, you know, try to influence that. So I started doing more roadway design. The company that I joined at the time I joined, it was about 25 people on C3TS. And I worked there for over 20 years. And at one point, we sold it to a, a large company called uh, Stantec Consulting Services that acquired us in December of 2012. But while I was at CTS, I really got an opportunity being in a small firm to you know, work on a lot of different aspects of civil engineering besides bridges, roadway. And I also got to you know, become a project manager, work with clients, and understand and gain an appreciation for the business side of civil engineering. I always wanted to have my own firm, and I got that opportunity at UTS. They made me a partner, and I became a vice president. I was running the transportation practice. Another thing that I grew there while I was there was what they call alternative project delivery or design build. That became so a type of procurement where they engage the, uh, both the contractor and the designer. We team up, and we, the designer typically looks to provide some innovative solutions that improve quality, cost, time to build the job. But while collaborating, working directly with the contractor who is, then becomes our client, and then we compete with other design build teams. And that became something that I really enjoyed. I like to be creative and think of ways that can improve traffic, quality of life. That became a big thing for me, and um, I got inspired by that. I got an opportunity to open an office in Orlando out of from Miami, so we did that. So I spent about 20 years there. We got acquired by Stantec, and I became kind of like an overall Florida practice leader for them. So, Walfrey, obviously you had a lot of experience, you know, working for a small firm is great and that you can see a lot, you know, you do a lot of different things and it sounds like you were entrepreneurial. Talk to us about the decision to kind of open your firm, how that went for you, what that process was like. After spending at the time about 25 years, I was 46 and, you know, starting my own firm was something that I was thought about when I graduated. Having worked for 25 years and, and different, ultimately, and in increasing levels of leadership and responsibility, you know, I saw things that, that I really liked, and then I saw some things that I didn't really care for, and I got to learn from all of that. After three years with a large firm, I decided that I wanted to go ahead and go on my own and start my own company. It was a big risk for me at the time. You know, I was established. I had, you know, pretty good income, but it was a dream that I wanted to follow. I wanted to do something, but I wanted to be different. I didn't necessarily want to follow what other companies have been doing that I had seen, even the ones that were successful. I wanted to pave my own way and leverage the skills that I had personally, which was you know being creative, thinking outside the box. 
I think a lot of people in the industry thought of me as someone that comes up with innovative ideas. When I started my own firm, I wanted to brand myself into someone who's an outside the box kind of thinker. We coined a few things. If you look at us on LinkedIn, by the way, we've done extremely well on LinkedIn. I think we now we have like over 2,800 followers in just uh, six years, which is pretty good for our industry. We coined the Think Big, something big is happening because I think those are two things that drive my firm and our culture. It's, um, you know, challenge people to think about ways to improve quality of life. And I wanted to do that. And, you know, I think starting my own firm and gives me an opportunity to create my own boundaries or and remove any obstacles from achieving those goals. So let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, company culture is a very important thing as you're growing a company, as you know, whether it's, you know, a mission, a vision, like you said, think big, you know, having a philosophy. Talk about the importance of some of these things in helping you to get everybody on the same page when you're growing a company to kind of have a common theme around a company, a culture, mission, vision. People call these all different things and then maybe they are different in some ways, but how do you approach that with your firm? And I'll be honest, like when I started the company, you know, culture wasn't the thing that I put on my business plan. It sort of started happening. And I give credit, there was a a student in Iowa State University who was getting their PhD. They reached out to me and they asked me if, you know, if I didn't mind granting an interview, they were studying how the DBE program or the Disadvantaged Business Enterprise Program helps small firms. So it really had nothing to do with culture, but he asked me a very profound question. He asked me, hey, Wafri, you know, you've been in leadership first at CRTS and later at Stantec, and you've been in these companies. But what's different about being a leader and Pavita, highway designers? And I thought about it. I maybe took 30 seconds, a minute, and I said, you know what? It's different. It's culture. When I was in a company with 16,000, 20,000 employees, to pull that lever is almost impossible. It takes maybe 2,000, 5,000 people to change the culture of a company that's that big. But in my company, guess what? I'm the founder. I'm the CEO. I run it. You know, I just got to blow wind on that lever and it's going to move and I can really make a dramatic impact. So he got me thinking about it. And um, even though it was something that was in my consciousness about the culture, all the things you said, Anthony, about how important it is to bring people together, I started thinking, you know what? We need to define it. I knew that one of the things I wanted to do and also something that I learned along the way is to keep great people engaged and to get people excited is you have to really provide as an engineering firm an opportunity to work on projects that are meaningful. What I mean by that is, you know, landmark projects. For example, right now, man, I have the honor of working on the I-395 Signature Bridge project. You know, it's a big job. We're building an iconic signature bridge over Biscayne Boulevard here in Miami. And I'm the design director for that project. And what an honor, what a privilege it is. That thing's going to stand there for over 100 years. And I had something to do with it. And I think that engineers that are interested and love what they do and are passionate about it, you know, they want to be able to work on those types of projects. So for me to work on those types of projects, we have to be able to scale the size of the projects we're working on as a small firm and get to participate in them. So we've been able to do that, leveraging my design build expertise with contractors, my relationships, and give our people a chance. And by being able to work on larger projects, you increase the longevity of their employment with us. It decreases the potential for them to leave, to go for, to another firm that has the same opportunities. We defined our culture into like engineering excellence. We're very big on technical. We also want to have fun. You know, it's not just work all day. So, you know, we've done Nerf gun wars. We have a ping pong table in the office. 
We have Halloween competitions between ourselves. We do all kinds of stuff like that. We collaborate with all of our offices. We have three offices, Miami or West Palm and Orlando, a lot of great collaboration. And then another thing that we try to do is, you know, give people time off. I started a tradition that we would give everyone the day after the Super Bowl off. Not a lot of companies do that, but we thought that's pretty cool. I also give them, you know, and I don't take their PTO or anything off of it. I give them the days between Christmas and New Year's off, you know, as a gift. Because, you know, I want people to be able to enjoy time with their families as well. I know I demand a lot from them. It's my responsibility to give back to them whenever I can. So I try to do those things. And I think the one thing that I just want to kind of touch on there from what Walfrey said, because this is part of our Civil Engineering Entrepreneurs Series, and I'm sure a lot of you listening are either growing your own firms or you're maybe interested in doing it. And I think the point about being able to change the culture is important because when you start a company, as you grow it, you know, 10 people, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, even 200, you can maybe still change things without a ton of work, a ton of effort. When you start getting firms into like 500, 1,000, 1,500, and like Walfrey said, 20,000 people, it becomes very difficult at that point because the habits you built from the beginning are going to be kind of rooted pretty deeply at that point. So if you're growing a company, the sooner you can establish some of these habits, really focus on your culture, put some of these routines and practices into place, it's only going to help you as you grow and really help you to grow because that's what I've seen. Some companies that come to us that want us to help them with things, you know, now they're at 500 people or 1,500 people. And for us to help them, we can do it, but it's a very big effort. And so, you know, it's like anything else in life. You know, when a kid starts eating vegetables when they're a kid, they're, tech, they're probably going to be eating them when they're older. When they don't, they're not going to start eating them. So, very, very interesting and important things to think about. Let's talk about people more for a minute. Walfrey, you talked about how you take care of your people, some of the things that you do. People are obviously a critical, critical component of building a business, especially a civil engineering firm, because we're so team-driven on our projects. Talk about how you find the right people for Pavita, how you develop them, how do you retain them? How do you just focus on your people development? Letting go, it's a big challenge for a lot of us, right? We don't want to let go of something. Do we trust, you know, the junior engineer to handle some of the more complex engineering tasks or to take on some of the management tasks, you know, and delegate that work to them and do it in a, in a responsible way where your clients are not going to see a drop off in the quality of technical services or management services. But it's important. I wouldn't be where I am today. You know, we've grown our organization now, you know, to like 67 people in, in six years. We're almost at 70 now. We've been getting some of that best talent in Florida to come work for us. People are seeing that they're coming here. They're getting an opportunity to do things that maybe they weren't allowed to do. When I talk to people, you know, I think some of the bigger firms or some of the more established companies, they have these organizational structures and they have all these boxes and they try to see what box do people fit in. I don't think that way. You know, to me, I'll talk to you, Anthony, if you came to work for us and you were interested, you know, I'm going to first ask you, what is it that you like doing? What gets you excited? What makes you want to go to work every day? And you say, hey, I like communications. I want to get out there. I want to talk about what a great company we have and broadcast that to the state, to the country, you know, and help us expand into other places. I want to take that positive energy that you have. And I'm going to create a position in my company where you can thrive and succeed. And that's what I, I look at, you know, when I talk to people, I notice that a lot of engineers nowadays feel like the only way to, to move up the ladder is with their, by being a project manager or getting on the business side. And I see a lot of firms that are, are kind of prioritizing that or rewarding those types of skills that are very important, 
but also the technical skills. I tell our engineers, we're an engineer's firm. We don't get paid to sign timesheets and expense reports. You know, we get paid to develop engineering solutions to very complex problems. And I think a lot of great engineers are, get excited about that. Wow, this is a company that really cares about the engineering. Of course, we care about the management and the business side. We also care equally about the engineering and creating a space where engineering excellence is going to thrive. That's important for us. I think when you put people into boxes, there's limitations, of course. And, you know, people don't necessarily want to be put into boxes. I mean, maybe they want some structure to some degree, but they also, I'm sure, want to be able to do what they like to do. I mean, listen, the world of civil engineering is changing so dramatically. There's new technologies every day. There's bigger projects every day. I tell people all the time that you may start your career as a civil engineer doing one thing and then start doing something that didn't even exist when you graduated college because it's just a new part of our industry. I think having those kind of conversations with people is great because people want to try new things. That's exciting for them. It keeps things interesting for them. And so I think that that's great. And for me, I started at a very small firm myself. And I think that's what I liked about it because I got to see everything. I got to go in the field. I got to come in the office. I got to do design work. I got to do kind of a little bit of everything. My boss would take me on client meetings because there just wasn't a lot of people there. So that exposure, I think getting to have those conversations with your supervisor, with the owner of the firm is very beneficial. As you grow, Walfrey, because you are growing, you know, it's almost 70 people now. I know from talking to a lot of professionals in engineering that what's really important to them in the companies that they work for today is like career growth and development support, right? I mean, a lot of companies in civil engineering are doing good. They can give good salaries. They can give good benefits, but they want to know that the company is going to support their career, help them with their development efforts. How do you handle that, especially as you grow? Because obviously it becomes a bigger challenge. Now you have 70 people that might need development, technical training. Like you said, technical is important, management training. Do you have a process or how do you address that for people? One of the things that I learned you know, in one of my previous companies, I got to learn a lot about the business when they invited me into the ownership and I sat around the table with some of the other owners. And for the first time, I started hearing about what some of the challenges are besides the engineering challenges, but also the business challenges, you know, insurance, liability, opening offices, negotiating leases, um, just all different types of things that, you know, as a civil engineering student, you don't necessarily learn about, you just learn about it on the job. And so I decided when I started the firm in our first year or second year, and then every year after that, we started having these strategic meetings. What I did, what I thought about was I gave everyone an opportunity. You know, I opened up to them. Um, by the way, I'm very transparent in my business. I like everyone to know what's going on. And these strategic meetings, what I did was I kind of started talking to people about, hey, how big do we want to get? The first year we talked about, do we want to get to 25 people, 50 or 100? And let's think about what are the consequences of that? That means we might have to add another service line like structures and bridges, or maybe we have to go to West Palm or Orlando if we're going to get scale our size. And having these open conversations, discussions with them, you know, do we want to open this particular service? We want to start doing traffic or PD&E or major bridges, you know, and what's it going to cost to do that? How much time? Who's going to do that type of work? I think allowed them to kind of see some of them were, you know, several years younger than me and, you know, they hadn't been exposed to leadership. So I, I think that allowed them to kind of get a taste of what it is to grow a company. That helps me to create leadership. I also invested in leadership training. A friend of mine, Dave Lawrence at Crestcom, came by and we decided to invest in that. And for three or four years in a row, I sent some of our leaders to that training. I personally 
took the training the first year, worked with other people, other professionals in other industries who face similar challenges and go through the, the one-year program that they've put together. And I invited my team and I sent my team, you know, year after year to those trainings. So, you know, try to lead by example, show them what I've learned, talk to them, be open and transparent, be available, communicate, invest in training so that they get the leadership training that they need. Because ultimately my success is based on their success. You know, I can't grow if I don't build leaders around me. So it's my job as a leader to build new leaders. And I love how you're transparent and you're, you know, talking with them about the growth of the company. I do think that that's important and really just keeps people engaged, you know, and they feel like they're really part of something, which is great. Let's talk about problems for a minute. When you build any business, especially a civil engineering business that has a lot of different parts, you inevitably encounter problems along the way as an entrepreneur, as a leader. And you seem like a big thinker. We've been talking about that as something that you like to really focus on. How do you, the company, how do you kind of identify and deal with problems as they arise? What is your approach to that? You said problems. And yeah, definitely. There's a lot of those that are going to come up as a leader, as someone, you know, we've grown a very successful practice. Believe me, there's been many problems and setbacks along the way. It hasn't been easy. When you're starting a firm, you know, I always tell people, some of the folks that joined me from big companies, especially, they come in like in year two or year three. What's the process for this? What's the procedure? <laughs> I said, we don't have one, man. I spent the first year of my business writing processes and procedures. I, I probably wouldn't be here in the third year right now. The first thing I had to do is go out and win work. And then I had to get people to get the work done. Then we started writing processes and procedures, which we're still working on. We don't have them all figured out yet. And I don't want to get into a bureaucracy. One of the things that happens as you're growing a firm is you're attracting talent and you're attracting people that you haven't worked with before. And many of them are coming from different backgrounds and different companies and have had different experiences. And oftentimes, you know, some things that you're used to doing, they haven't done before. They might push, be a little standoffish, maybe they're resisting you know, some of those changes. But I think that's part of the problems that you have is working with people that come from different backgrounds, but then somehow finding common ground and agreeing on how we should best move forward and including them in the decisions that we're making as we go forward. That was a challenge. Opening new offices is, is a, always a big challenge as well. Um, having an office in West Palm and Orlando, it's a challenge, you know, help making them feel like they're part of the overall corporate headquarters because I live in Miami. I go to the Miami office every day and I travel occasionally to Orlando and West Palm to visit them. I'm not there every day. So the people in Miami have access to me. All of our back office, you know, HR, accounting, marketing, all of those folks are in Miami. So it's a challenge to communicate with other offices and make them feel like, hey, you know, you're not being ignored or forgotten. You're part of us. And having that's also a big challenge that we've had to overcome is how to collaborate with them, how to make them feel part of the overall unit. We've had to do that in a number of ways. At one point, we had monthly face-to-face -face meetings. Now, with the pandemic, we've seen you know, increasing use of Teams meetings, Zoom meetings, and so forth. Those are some of the problems, Anthony, that we've had is, you know, it's just integrating new people, you know, that come from different companies, even different cultural backgrounds, all of us, and then finding common ground with them. Well, Free, from an, more of an industry perspective in the civil engineering world right now, what do you see as some of the bigger challenges? I mean, listen, there's a lot of work right now. So getting work isn't necessarily a challenge. And then we've got the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which is going to now be deploying more 
funds and more projects. But from an industry-wide standpoint, what do you see as maybe a challenge that's going to come here that is here now for firms that are trying to grow in the civil world? Because I know on the outside looking in, everything looks very positive, but I'm sure that there are some things that you might see as an owner that might be challenging here. Finding people, being able to recruit and hire people. Historically, most engineering firms are very worried about winning work. And that's always been in our industry, in the service industry, make sure that you have enough work to keep your staff employed year in and year out, and then have some growth on it has been a top priority. One of the things that maybe hasn't been valued as much is finding the right people that fit your culture and that can help you grow the organization. Sometimes I remember being in the other companies where I worked at, they were like, well, you really can't hire until you have enough backlog. How much backlog do you have? And I totally 100% disagree with that mentality. I'm hiring all the time, 24-7, because you know what? The best people and the best engineers in our business, and this is probably the biggest challenge we have, is having the resources to deliver the work program that we're going to be seeing coming up. In Florida, we have a very robust work program, but it's going to get even bigger now with the JOBS Act. When those funds start flowing into Florida, we're going to need more and more people. So you asked me what the biggest challenge is, finding good people. And we're looking all the time, 24-7. We're looking for not just the people that are on the street that don't have a job. We're looking for the people that are gainfully employed. They're happy. They're doing great things. But you know, have you ever thought maybe you could do better? Maybe you can go to an organization that's not going to limit your growth, but that's going to give you no ceiling and you're going to get to accomplish what you did. So I think that's a big challenge is finding the right people. And now, in my case, I'm looking to find organizations because I think another way to meet those challenges is going to be to acquire companies that are out there. And I'd be interested in in teaming with other like-minded individuals like myself that have built companies with great cultures and that can make a great team and help us grow a premier transportation practice, not only in Florida, not only in the Southeast, but in the United States. I agree with you in that approach in terms of hiring. I mean, listen, it shouldn't be about hiring someone when you need work. It should be about always finding the right people, you know, not just when you're too busy to do work. Because like you said, you know, you never know when you're going to find the right person. So if you find them, get them on board now, get them working. I mean, I think we have a good idea that there's going to be plenty of work in this industry for, you know, the near future for sure. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with Walter. We're going to put him on the civil engineering hot seat and ask a couple of last career-related questions. We'll be right back. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right. We are back with our guest, Walfredo Pavita, founder and chief engineer of Pavita Highway Designers. And now we're going to put Walfrey on the civil engineering hot seat. You ready? Sure. All right. So first question, do you have any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning routine or lunchtime routine, something that you do consistently on a daily basis that has contributed to your success? Many times I've tried, you know, going on a diet or working out and try to create like a a routine. And oftentimes my job interferes with that traveling, um, having to work late sometimes to get a proposal in or submittal with a deadline. What I found is for me, what works is to have certain things in your life besides work that create interests like hobbies. I've started a few things here in the last year, year and a half, and that I try to do on a regular basis. And maybe it's not the same day, maybe it's not the same hour, but the frequency every week is what I kind of focus on. So I've started working out, taking care of my health. I've been doing high intensity interval training. 
I try to do that three times a week. I've also started playing golf. I do that on the weekends, maybe once a week, I'll go and I'll do like nine holes or something like that. And also something else I picked up, which I never thought I'd do is I started doing like ballroom dancing. So I picked up that hobby. And those things are nice things that complement what you're doing. I think, uh, you know, we work hard, the stress levels at work, you know, can be quite extreme and having something else on the side, I think that distract you and also, you know, better quality of life. You know, I think it's good to have a well-balanced life and, and to take care of yourself your health, and also your just other hobbies, things that make you happy and get more fulfillment out of life. I agree with you. In fact, my wife and I did ballroom dancing for a few years. And it was like, once we signed up, we were like, we have to go. We were forcing ourselves to do it. And it was really great. And we never would have thought we would have been able to do it with the kids and everything, but we worked it out because we just kind of committed to it. When you have things like that going on in your life, you could just be more fulfilled, kind of a happier overall. And I always think that that also helps you at work. You're kind of more productive. You know, your head's in the right place. You meet people from different walks of life and doing that sort of stuff, not just other engineers. So you, it's eye-opening. You get to learn about other people's experiences or cultures, where they're from. It's fulfilling. All right. Next question. Do you have a, a book that you might recommend to engineers or not even engineering related, just any book that you found to be helpful in your personal and professional development. Sometimes something stands out for us and we kind of carry it with us. It's not a very long read or a very sophisticated book, but the uh, Who Move My Cheese, I think it's a very powerful book. I see a lot of people that get stuck in a rut. They don't move and things just get become stagnant and dull and stale. I practice this quite a bit. I often, you know, stop and reflect on you know what's happened the last six months, the last year. Have these things that I tried, are they really working? And if they're not working, move on to something else. Don't be afraid to acknowledge, you know what, I made a decision, it didn't work out, I need to move in another direction. And I think that book teaches you that sometimes life brings about changes and be prepared when it does, because that is the norm. It's not the unusual, the change is the norm. And that book, I think about it a lot. And it's not only in business, it's in your personal life. Oftentimes things happen, they change, they're not what they seem to be anymore, and just need to be prepared to put yourself out there. A lot of people are afraid to put themselves in a state of vulnerability. I talk about being vulnerable, I think it's very important. And actually, it's been one of the more rewarding things that I've done, starting my own business, not knowing what's coming. I mean, I invested over $300,000 of my own money in about four or five months, and I only had like $10,000 in income to show for it. It was a very stressful time for me, but I overcame. You know, I believed in myself, put myself out there. Even though I've been doing this for 25 years, so many opportunities that I thought were going to happen didn't happen. But yet there were so many new opportunities that I never imagined that came along. And what it did was it created a lot of confidence in myself. And it's very rewarding to know that opportunities are out there for you. It's okay. You know, just they move the cheese. Go out there, man, and go find some new stuff. Because if you stay where you're at because you're afraid to make change, you're not going to get a rewarding life living that way. It's one of my favorite books, and it's by Spencer Johnson. Definitely check it out, Who Moved My Cheese? And it is a very quick read. Like Walfrey said, I think you can read in an hour or two. Books like that are great because they're kind of a little bit of a story and it helps you to remember them. Like you said, you keep thinking about it. You're always thinking about it. So definitely, definitely a great book there. All right. Next question that I have for you. You mentioned you had jobs, some larger companies, different companies for the first part of your career. 
when you think back on some of your managers of the past, and you don't have to name names, but if you just think of some of your favorite managers, what made them your favorite law firm? What were the characteristics? We're just trying to understand some of the characteristics of really great managers in the world of civil engineering. Great managers are the ones that have always challenged me to do basically not to box me into a particular task or group, but just to challenge me to think about what's good for the overall project or what are the overall goals and not to put me in a, inside of a box. That's what I found, whether it was when I first graduated, I worked with a particular gentleman who I was doing bridges and he's like, you know, Wafri, you really need to think about what's going on with the road approaching the bridge, not just the bridge alone. You need to understand how the bridge relates to everything else on the job. Those type of eye-opening things. And then when I went to work for a small firm, I was given opportunity to work on, you know, some water, wastewater projects. I got to work on, besides bridge, I started doing some traffic control plans, roadway plans, drainage, understanding that, hey, you know, I have the skill sets that I acquired in college to compute and do some of the analysis that is being asked of me. Let me, let me expand my horizon. So the best mentors, you know, have always taught me that don't limit yourself just to what you see in front of you. Think beyond what's there. Be responsible for the work. Take ownership of what you're doing. I have always had natural passion for what I've done, but also work ethic is important. You know, have a, a good work ethic is critical in, in achieving a lot of great success as well. All right. So I've got one final question for you, Walfrey. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with, let's say, a younger civil engineer, you know, earlier on in their career, and you had maybe 30 to 40 seconds with that person, what career advice would you give them in that short period of time? I had dinner last night with a, a friend of mine. He just started his own firm and he was asking me almost the same exact question. As an engineer, you have a, a reputation and I think that's very important. It sounds kind of cheesy, but doing the right thing, I think that's gotten me to where I am. I've been put in many positions over my career, especially since I do a lot of design build work where I work for the contractor, not necessarily the DOT, even though DOT is the number one client in Florida. And sometimes I tell the contractor, you know what, I'm not going to do that. That's not safe. I won't sign and seal those plans. And at the same time, the department might ask me to do something that I don't think is right. And I'll stand up to it. I'll do what always what's right. Some people might say, well, just say whatever the client wants them to say. That's not me. I'm going to do whatever the right thing is for the project, for our public in general. And I think I've been able to do that. And I'm very consistent year in, year out. I've been that kind of person. And just like I might get into a heated debate with my contractor, I'll do the same thing with the department, with the DOT. I'm going to fight for what I think is right. And I think it's very important to protect your reputation and to stand and to be a principled engineer, not just do what the client wants you to do, but do what's right for the project and for the public. Wilfredo Pavita, founder and chief engineer at Pavita Highway Designers. I want to thank you so much for taking some time and spending it with us here on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you, Walfred. Thank you for having me, Anthony. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Walfredo. I mean, he's a great guy. He's really passionate about what he's doing. And I really enjoyed how much he talked about culture and transparency and connecting with people and really allowing people to do what they love to do. Because that's how you're going to grow a successful company in the world of civil engineering, and you need to really start that early on. 
Please remember you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 199. There you're going to find a summary of the key points that we discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources that Wallfree talked about, whether it was websites or books mentioned during the episode. I also want to remind you that we'll be starting our people leadership, project management, and seller-doer business development courses soon at EMI, new versions of the courses. We're always running new sessions. And again, you can enroll people. We could do a company-only version for you, or we can take our courses and customize them and put some of your company templates, logos, and even tools into our training and really make it a flagship program for your firm. To check it out, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org, click on the upcoming training button at the top of the website, or give us a call, 800-920-4007. Again, that's 800-920-4007. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.